I'm Brian Hubbard. And I'm Lynn McTaggart. And we are What Doctors Don't Tell You. And welcome, welcome to our very latest podcast and vlogcast. So where we review all the interesting health news of the recent days. So let's kick off with the first item. The sun has got his hat on. Hip, 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 hooray. Although really it doesn't really seem that way right now. It's pouring down here in the UK. Let's hope to goodness by the time you hear this, it is sunny. And when it does get sunny, what do we do? We slather all sorts of sun creams and stuff on our bodies to keep us safe from sunburn. But you may want to think again, because um, scientists have done a review of the most popular uh, sun creams and sprays and found that our bodies are absorbing very high levels of quite dangerous chemicals. And this is even going further, and it actually is being found in blood plasma samples. So, in other words, it's entering the, the bloodstream as well. And these um, chemicals are certainly very toxic and have all sorts of possible health effects. I'm not exactly sure what, but the real problem is that we're absorbing at such high levels that they have found uh, levels of chemicals that 200 times above what the US uh, FDA reckons is safe. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And so it's, uh, and, it, and the, the people who have been tested for this have been applying the sun creams and sprays correctly. They've been using it exactly according to manufacturer's instructions. But yet, nonetheless, they are absorbing at phenomenally high levels. And one of the um, possible uh, side effects of these chemicals is, of course, cancer. But apparently, they could also affect developmental and reproductive uh, abilities as well. So who'd have thought? Um, it's, um, they tested out four sunscreens, two sprays, one lotion and one cream. And then their blood plasma levels were tested. And uh, some levels were even higher than that, but the average was 200 times above safe levels. What do you reckon, Lynn? Well, <clears throat> I think it's incredible that they finally got to the point of thinking, oh, wow, these chemicals get absorbed. Mm. Um, you know, we know from just umpteen pieces of research that things put on the skin get absorbed into the skin. That's, after all, what manufacturers of beauty products have been saying for decades. You know, put this on your skin and you will be younger because your skin will absorb it. So if you've got dangerous chemicals there, of course they're going to get absorbed. But there's two other things to note about this story. Number one, one of the big problems of slathering on so much sunscreen and going by this be safe sun rule, etc., is that people aren't getting enough vitamin D, particularly people who live in northern climates like here we do in the UK. So it's really important, almost, it is vital. You know, vitamin A isn't really a vitamin, it's a hormone that our bodies create from the sun. And it's vital for so many different bodily processes. It's probably the most important so-called vitamin we've got. So you need to expose your skin without covering to the sun at least about 10 minutes a day um, until it turns just slightly red so that it's registered some of the sun. But also there are better ways to say, stay safe. And as it happens, this latest issue of ours, which is just out, 
which has a special about pollution, also has a special about the best natural sunscreens. Our healthy shopping sleuth, who scouts out these products every month, has come up with a great grab bag of the best and healthiest sunscreens to use. So check it out if you want to be sun safe, but also safe safe. Mm. And it's also extraordinary to me that these you know products have been on the market for for a long time. They've sold in their millions, and it's only now that researchers have discovered that the skin absorbs them to very high levels. And so, well, aren't these tests done before these products are out on the market? Answer: No. Yeah, that's the problem. I yeah. mean, there are very very light touch legislation Mm. um, measures Mm. that go with these kinds of products. Mm. It's all about business and making money Mm. and at the consumer's expense. Yeah. Well, as it's raining here, it doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why we're here anyway, which is to provide you with an alternative. It sort of seems intuitively right. Uh, It's a thing called grounding or earthing. And what it is, is a very simple technique where you put your bare feet on the earth, on grass or on the earth somehow, for at least 15 minutes or so. And it's meant to sort of regulate your system. And this was a discovery that a cable TV entrepreneur called Clinton Ober discovered, I suppose, because he's used to earthing cables as part of the TV uh, network, that it suddenly occurred to him, well, maybe we also need to earth every so often. And he did quite a bit of research into this and found that it was did have great health benefits. And now some independent researchers are taking a look at it as well. And um, a research group at the University of California at San Diego, in fact, have just tested it on a group of massage therapists. Well, believe it or not, massage therapists seem to end up worse than their patients. They get all sorts of muscle problems and um, what have you, and and they always seem to be in aches and pains all the time. So they thought, well, why don't we try it out on a group of 16 massage therapists? And they uh, had to do grounding for six weeks. So in other words, what happened was they either um, regularly put their bare feet on the ground or and as well, rather than or, at night they have these special grounding sheets, which is where it's just a simple cable, sort of throw, goes out of the window, attached to the sheet, and then into the ground. And apparently this is all meant to be very, very good for you. And indeed that proved to be the case, because the therapists all reported, after doing this for about a month, that they were had far less pain, physical function had improved, they were less anxious or depressed, certainly less fatigued, and they were sleeping better. And um, in fact, the researchers said this was a significant improvement in the overall health. And it wasn't just, um, you know, mind over matter, because they did all the usual biomarkers for inflammation. Uh, They tried uh, blood tests, heart rate variability tests, you name it. And they'd all improved over that period when the therapists were grounding. So, I mean, and it seems to be the simplest thing you can do. Just taking your shoes and socks off, just putting your feet on the grass for a few minutes every day, and sleep levels will improve, anxiety will drop. As I say, in this case, even aches and pains seem to diminish. 
So, I mean, amazing stuff, Lynn. Um, yes and no, because there's an enormous body of evidence demonstrating that human beings are very, very um, susceptible to electromagnetic fields, but also geomagnetic fields. Um, there's an enormous body of evidence that was championed by the University of Minnesota to show that all living things, but particularly human beings, are profoundly affected by the energy of the sun. And by that, I don't mean sunshine. I mean uh, solar flares and things that uh, get tossed off from the sun. The sun is just this big old ball of gas crossed with magnetic shields. And it throws that, hurls that stuff toward earth, which hits a, a thing called the geomagnetic shield of the earth. And that, any activity by the sun, which is very subtle by the time it hits earth, has a huge effect on the two major energetic engines of the body, the heart and the brain. Mm -hmm. You know, when there's a lot of solar activity, heart, heart attacks increase, psychiatric um, admissions increase, epileptic fits increase, you know, we get mm. energetically destabilized. So what this is really saying is by earthing, mm -hmm. you're connecting essentially with that geomagnetic, um, those geomagnetic effects. Mm. And they regularize us, mm. you know. Yeah. Our bodies need yeah. to have it. Yeah. We need to be in, in tune. Yeah, and it's the simplest thing to do, isn't it, really? Absolutely. So, shoes and socks off, everybody. Hysteria stalks the earth. Science is out of the window. Hysteria reigns. Witches are being burned. The old black magic is back. Yes, folks, I'm talking about vaccination and fear of being imprisoned or run out of the country. I just want to talk about it a bit more because there's nowhere now where anyone can have a cool and dispassionate discussion about vaccinations. It's just, it's been banned from everywhere. So at risk of being banned, I want to talk about vaccinations. And in particular, I want to talk about the whooping cough, pertussis vaccine, which is part of the DTAP vaccine. And um, apparently a new study from the Kaiser Permanent Hospital, ban them, I say, ban them for reviewing vaccinations. But they've done a review and found that children who last had their vaccine uh, three years or more earlier are five times more likely to develop pertussis. <laughs> Hooping cough. In other words, the vaccine has a short life, and it ha and its uh, protective powers diminish even after a couple of years. I mean, certainly it's true that the vaccinated children are 13 times less likely to suffer from whooping cough than the unvaccinated, but most cases are still happening amongst the people who've had the jab because, believe it or not, coverage is very high. Most people are getting their kids vaccinated, despite the hysteria. The truth of the matter is most are being vaccinated. And the problem is not the coverage, but it's the potency of the vaccine itself, the researchers say. Um, yeah, because they did a review of 470,000 children, high coverage of vaccination amongst them. Um, 
Only 1% of children who developed pertussis were unvaccinated, and 3% were undervaccinated. But most of the children who developed the disease were fully vaccinated. In other words, they'd had the whole uh, series of courses recommended by, by government. So they had the full course, and yet most of those children developed pertussis. So that's of the 738 cases, 603 were fully vaccinated, 99 hadn't been vaccinated at all, and 36 were partially vaccinated. So it seems like the, the vaccine itself has a limited shelf life, and the children become vulnerable even just a couple of years after being vaccinated, and even after they've had the full course that's recommended. Well, this is the problem with all vaccines. I mean, they work imper at best imperfectly and they wear off, you know, and they certainly found that out with measles vaccines. Um, they, they discovered that what was happening is that it wasn't eliminating measles in, in children. It was only delaying when they got it. And many of them um, end up getting measles when they're in their 20s, when it's hmm. a more dangerous disease. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that happened some years ago in America, so they suggested hmm. booster shots. Hmm. But if you look at studies, hmm. all sorts of studies of various vaccines, and including measles, you find that outbreaks of measles occur in populations where there is essentially universal coverage. Mm. So this isn't being talked about now yeah. in this hysteria, but it's been the case over and over and over again when scientists bothered to do the studies of who is getting um, the particular illness and whether or not they've been vaccinated and puts the two and two together, they find that nine times out of 10, it's among vaccinated populations. Yeah, yeah. So that tells you a lot about how well these things work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks, Lynn. Ban that po podcast, by the way. <laughs> thanks. As Lynn knows, I'm a great walker. I walk loads and loads of steps every day. 14, 15,000 steps a day. I've won medals for walking. <laughs> The latest one I got is the Sahara Desert Walk. So I've walked the length of the Sahara Desert in about a year. Don't know why I did it, but I did. And according to a new study, I've been sort of wasting my time because the golden mean noise has been, you must walk 10,000 steps a day. But researchers say, well, actually, if you do 4,400 steps a day, most of those benefits kicking at that point. At the tipping point is 7,700 steps a day. Thereafter, you're just walking for walking sake because there are no further health benefits in walking beyond 7,700 steps a day. And it's a big study, 16,741 women, average age of 72, so not youngsters. And they wore a tracking device to, that counted their steps. And um, during the, they studied them, their, their, their habits, their walking habits and all the rest for uh, four years. And during that time, 504 of the women died. And apparently they were the ones who had moved the least. They, they averaged fewer than 2,700 steps a day. But they found that there was a correlation between the number of steps walked and mortality. So in other words, the more steps you walked, 
the more likely you were still to be alive after those four years and I think have fewer other uh, health problems like heart problems or all the rest. But there was a cutoff point at that 7,700 steps. Beyond that, there weren't any further health benefits. And one very interesting thing they discovered, because all these other researchers have talked about intensity of walking. You've got to walk really fast. You've got to sort of be a bit breathless. You've got to really make your heart go. And they found this wasn't the case at all, that most of these women were actually just strolling around at a fairly low rate, and yet they were enjoying the same benefits. And so we're left with the question, okay, so where did this 10,000 steps come from? And you know what I found out? One of the very first pedometers was actually developed by a Japanese clockmaker. And he had to give it a name because people didn't know what this thing was. And he gave it this Japanese name. And do you know what? It translates as 10,000 steps. <laughs> <laughs> right. So do you, what do you reckon, Lynn? Well, I think this is really interesting yeah. because... It almost says something more about just being upright mm. than distance or working your body out, working up a sweat. Mm -hmm. It's really about putting some sort of force on your body. Yeah. That seems to be really the important thing. Mm. Even if it's a stroll, you are doing a strike exercise, which is we know is great for your bones yeah. and probably great for some That's other things. Qigong, isn't it? They reckon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, qigong. But it's, yeah. it's also, mm. I think... Uh, we have a lot of illusions about exercise. You know, we think that you need to use strike exercises, for instance, to protect your bones. But mm. new research shows that even swimming builds mm. bone. Mm. So maybe it's about movement, even gentle movement. Um, maybe it's about putting some sort of pressure on your body. But it sounds like, as the newest evidence is showing, you know, little and often is good enough. Well, 7,700 at least. <laughs> and who would have thought that 10,000 steps were just the English translation of a Japanese brand name? <laughs> um, as Lynn noted earlier, our very latest issue talks about pollution and its impact on health. And uh, a new study has just come out that amplifies this. In fact, the researchers have discovered that the common pesticides that we all seem to spray on flowers are particularly dangerous to small children. They raise blood pressure and they could also be causing ADHD-type symptoms in the children. And uh, the reason why they know this is once a year, it's quite an interesting thing, this, and they seem to do this study every year. But what it is that uh, they go down to Ecuador, where more commercial flowers are grown than any other country in the world. Wow. Yeah. And um, they have to get ready for Mother's Day, Mothering Sunday or wherever in the States. Um, millions of flowers are grown in Ecuador ahead of this festival, this celebration of mothers, and they're spraying the crops all the time. And um, so the uh, University of California, San Diego School of Medicine researchers went down to Ecuador and uh, measured the, 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 the blood levels and all the rest of it of children before, during, and after this intensive spraying. 
And it seems like the children are affected for up to 100 days after the spraying had stopped. And for all that time, they demonstrated signs of high blood pressure and ADHD symptoms. And um, the, um, the, the major component of the pesticides is the, the orga- organophosphates, which mm. seem to be particularly absorbed by kids. They seem to be particularly sensitive to them. And um, the kids were also suffering visual and motor problems immediately after the spraying. So it's, uh, you know, and I know they do this study every single year, but it's always interesting. It's always the same results come out. And they are absolutely certain that these common pesticides are to blame for these um, health problems. Absolutely. Um, There is some good news, though. I mean, first of all, this indicates that no matter what, you need to start eating organic as much as you can because this stuff infuses so many of the you know typical store-bought vegetables and fruits that we get now. But there is some really good news, which is there have been studies of children, too, showing that when they're switched from an ordinary standard diet um, where they're exposed to you know the, the pesticide-laden vegetables and fruits, when they switch to organic, their levels of organophosphates drop really, really quickly. Mm. So it's never too late to go organic, and your body will really thank you okay. for it. I mean, in this particular case, the, you know, the pesticides are in the air, of course. Sure. So anything they can do for, about that, do you think? Well, there's loads of things. <clears throat> I mean, with organophosphates in the air, first of all, don't spray your backyard. Don't spray your, in your garden. There are plenty of natural pesticide sprays that you can buy that don't have organophosphates. Don't use those kinds of insecticides when you go, when you're trying to protect yourself or your children against mosquito bites, go for natural ones. There are many that work as well or better. Just try to limit your exposure in the various things you use with your cleaning products, your toiletries, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and if you do get affected, if you are near, say, a farm or whatever, a really effective way of getting rid of this stuff is essentially boiling it out hmm. with saunas, regular saunas. And there have been some <clears throat> decent studies of far infrared saunas, which are saunas or blankets you can buy and use at home. Hmm. And just a bit of sweating you know, three, four times a week. And you mm. can very quickly, according to one of our panel members, Dr. Sarah Myhill, 50 of those saunas will basically have your um, your chemical levels, your, mm. you know, pesticide yeah. and organophosphate yeah. levels. Mm. And, and I think this story reminds me of one we did a few minutes ago, the eagle-eared members of our listening community will recall we did a story just now about sun creams and how they're absorbed by the skin. And I suppose the same question arises, that um, who's testing this stuff? I mean, if the sun creams are uh, allowing all sorts of uh, toxins into our bloodstream, here we have these common pesticides, you can buy off the shelf anywhere you like, causing all sorts of problems, high blood pressure, ADHD in children. Well, 
Who's testing this stuff? Well, the bottom line is nobody really is testing any mm. of it. And remember, we've got about 80,000 chemicals now mm. out there, mm. um, whether it is, you know, the stuff that's sprayed on gardens to the f- stuff that's in our food, that to all of the stuff that's in our air, mm. um, and then our indoor pollution, you mm. know, um, volatile organic compounds that come from our paints and, yeah. you know, things like MDF. And the, you know, the organizations in charge, the agencies in charge, don't really test these to any great extent. And they don't test the interaction between them. There was a small publication once um, that talked about this, the fact that this was a really worrying issue because they hadn't tested it. Rachel's Weekly, Environmental Mm. Weekly. Mm. And I remember... Frank Wewell, who was the who is the uh, the founder of People Against Cancer, once talking about that and saying, you know what? When you think about the interaction of the chemicals mm. out there, there aren't enough zeros to calculate the risk. Wow. And so, bottom line is, mm. do what you can. Mm. Eat organic. Mm. You know, eat. Don't spray your your plants. Mm. Uh, avoid other plants that have been sprayed. Um, and there are various, pick up this magazine. You'll find all kinds of natural ways to keep yourself safe. Mm. Thanks, Lynn. Well, the latest dogma is that we should eat less red meat and more fish. And um, in fact, they're reckoning that if we give up one or two steak, red meat meals a week for fish, we'll live longer. And um, they say, in particular, the fish has to be a fatty fish um, in order to get the health benefits. In fact, they're saying we should eat about 350 grams of fish a week, which is about one and a half cups, so it's not an enormous amount. And as they say, it should be a fatty fish, such as herring or mackerel, um, or, or leaner cuts, such as plaice and pollock. But they say, whatever it is, don't make it tuna. Mm-hmm. Anything but tuna. And why? Well, because, for one thing, there's always the problem of methylmercury in tuna, which seems to be more uh, relevant in, in tuna than any other fish. Um, and it's also low in the fatty acids that we actually need. Now, the reason why I said at the start it's a bit of a dogma is because <laughs> it doesn't seem to have much difference to people's health. I think it probably makes us feel better, and it's probably a good thing to be doing. But when you look at the, the actual figures, the, the, the impact on health is actually very slight, and it doesn't make much difference in terms of mortality or, or developing heart disease or, or anything else, although it probably is a good thing to do. I mean, red meat is anyway an important source of iron, and um, and it's um, it it can too much of it can cause cancer. So mm-hmm. and I think that's probably why the research say, yeah, it's, it's not the red meat is bad, but too much can be. And I think that's probably true of most everything. And that's for that reason that too much red meat has been linked to cancer. Therefore, substitute for fish as long as it's not tuna. So. And of course, it uh, fish, I suppose, has the added uh, advantage of being a good source of healthy fatty acids and vitamin D, that vital nutrient we've been talking about in this in this podcast is so essential. <laughs>
Absolutely, Brian. And, you know, one of the big ones there, too, is wild salmon. And that is wild Alaskan salmon or one of those keto salmons, but not um, not farmed fish, mm. never farmed fish, because mm. that the way that farmed fish are fed is not the way they're fed in nature. And that affects the fatty acid that they that they mm. have mm. but wild salmon has all of those great omega-3 fatty acids that we need mm. so that's a really important one and here's a little tip for fish eaters okay. um, that has to do with pollution <clears throat> a study found that when a lot of the pollution just collects in the skin of the fish mm. so when you're having something like salmon make sure to just peel off the skin right and you'll get rid of the you know the bulk of the pollution okay well, I think that's it for another week, then. Wrap-up time. Uh, just to say that we um, just celebrated Father's Day in the UK, and I think elsewhere too. And in celebration of this momentous occasion, I was sent a few dad's jokes. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> in light of this last item, the one joke is, and you know the answer to this, Lynn, but I'll say the joke. What do you call a fish that doesn't have any eyes? And the answer is fush. <laughs> so on which note, I'm Brian Hubbard. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch up with you again next time. And I'm Lynn McTaggart, and do check out this latest issue. Thank you. Thank you.